taking a stroll down memory lane with some flagship pale ales. Call Will Smith. It's the Independence Day beer run. This is It's All Beer. Dun-dun-dun! Welcome to It's All Beer. If craft beer were a summertime picnic, we'd be the assholes bitching about the ants. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. How are you doing today, Tyler? I'm uh, doing pretty excellent. Uh, enjoying the little nostalgia trip we have lined up here in front of us, so, even though it was a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, so a little bit of info what we're doing here. So um, this is going to be our last uh, regular episode for a, a couple of months because, Tyler, how is your summer lining up? Uh, pretty fucking packed. Um, I think you're you're buggering off out of out of town next week. I'm I'm going up to Montana to get drunk, blow shit up for Fourth of July. So and then after that, I'm going to Oregon to get drunk and possibly blow shit up, or maybe just smoke a lot of things that are illegal in this state, <laughs> which is basically the same. And then <laughs> I don't know. You're, Either way, there's gonna be smoke. You're you're busy after that. I'm busy after that. So we kind of we decided early when we were uh, thinking about this podcast that. The summers, fuck it. We're just gonna... And you guys are busy getting drunk out on a patio, throwing up in a storm drain. I mean, we know our audience. Yeah, so you don't need to listen to us blabbing about beer when you clearly have your own shit going. So (laughs) we're gonna take a couple of months off after this. Maybe do like a couple of special episodes. We'll see if we can't haul in a couple special guests. Maybe if something really cool happens... And Pull we... someone out of rehab. Yeah, if something if something uh, uh, kick-ass happens or, you know, some uh, some other brewery sells their soul to AB InBev, maybe we'll uh, wake our ass up long enough to do another podcast. But otherwise, this will be the last one, I think, until September. So c- sort of celebrate. Um, since we got into talking about uh, Pale Ales last week, what with Sierra Nevada winning uh, third place... For their pale ales and and pale ales in general doing really good overall um, with the um, with Zymergery's um, uh, beer rankings, we thought it would be fun to grab a bunch of pale ales that we uh, we remember fondly and a couple that we could find because this was actually harder than we thought. Holy fuck! Trying to find like some of these old school flagship pale ales. Um... Like, just give you kind of a quick little rundown of some of the beers we got here. Like Deschutes Mirror Pond or Oscar Blues's Dale's Pale Ale. That was a bitch. Um, Liberty, we, we we managed to find it was actually at our uh, tap room. Then we just rounded it out with uh, with a, a local uh, from Boise Brewing's their Syringa Pale Ale, and then something from Crux just kind of because because we need we felt six was a good number. Six is the and, right number. Six is absolutely the right number. So and we just had to fill that last spot. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to check out what we what we were drinking for this episode, we're gonna post them all on Twitter pretty much as we go. But uh, we're starting off with the Liberty Pale Ale. Tyler, uh, what's tell us about this one? So this is when I first got into craft beer. This was uh, one of the first beers that I picked up at a bottle shop uh, because I had heard a little backstory. Uh, actually. As I was starting to get into craft beer, uh, I watched an episode of BrewDog's uh, TV show called BrewDog's, and they were doing a beer over in San Francisco with Anchor, and they were talking about the Liberty Pale Ale, or the Liberty Ale, and I was like, oh, I can get that locally. I'll try it. Uh, it was like the first beer to really like showcase Cascade Hops, released in 1975 uh, to celebrate the 70, or... To celebrate the anniversary of Paul Revere making his ride. Um, and it's basically a 5.9% smash beer using two-row and Cascade hops. Unfortunately, uh, we did check the date code, uh, which after going to Anchor's website, we were able to decipher the date code. Uh, what was the date, Jeremy? Well, let's see. So the, the date code is... Uh, 8Y as in yo-yo 9. The 8 stands for the last the last number of the year. So that's 2018. Hopefully not 2008. <laughs> well, true. Okay, let's just let's give it the benefit of the doubt and say 2018, which is not a good start. 
The Y designation is the uh, month, which in this case... Um, they have a key on their website. Yeah, um, but it is the first letter of the month, unless that first letter has already been used, then it's the last letter. So in this case, Y means May. And then the last number, 9, is the day. So this was bottled on May 9th of 2018. So this is a year-old pale. Yeah, which... This is the good part about making sure that all your package products are date-coded. Because if someone were to come up and try this off a recommendation, and they'd be like, what the fuck, this doesn't taste like a pale ale at all. This is shitty. This is terrible. And look and go, 8Y9. I don't know what that means. Exactly. So, I mean, I think I want to just put a put something out there. Um, for the love of God... Date-code your packages. For, for us, because, you know, we, we really try to uh, uh, police our stock and make sure that everything is less than six months old. It's really hard to do that when there's not a date on it. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> And that's one of the reasons I'm a fan of either do a born-on date or a kill-on date. And let your retailers know. I get why some breweries want to do a kill date instead of a born-on date. Uh, but either one, it gives you a specific date that at that point, toss it. I mean, if it's from, so from a retail standpoint, absolutely a kill date is the most useful because that tells me that somebody at the brewery has decided that they that's how they want their beer represented. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, the kill on date, shoot it dead. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, born on date is a little bit more ambiguous. I feel that leaves a little bit of discretion up to the retailer. Our policy is six months. Mm-hmm. feel that's fair and for most beers. The one hard part with the born-on date is I feel like a year or two ago this was really prevalent where there was a lot of hardcore beer nerds that if like an IPA or a pale ale was more than two weeks old, it was old, it was garbage, don't buy it. And so I know a bunch of breweries uh, in the Midwest started actually switching from born-ons to kill-ons because they're like, we know when our beer is still good. Right. Well, and, well, those assholes notwithstanding. I've, I, I've run into a couple of people who were who are really, really uh, into, oh, get the beer, like, within a couple of weeks. And while I understand that drive, yeah, it's still good a couple of months later. It's still good three months later. A four-month-old beer is not bad. Depending on the style, Yeah. Not even most of your, I mean, mm-hmm. so your Northeast IPAs, your, yeah, those start dropping off pretty you, fucking fast. You want a couple weeks, a month, you're pushing. Um, I mean, but it's just, there is a just distribution network you have to contend with, and it's not always easy, but yeah. anyway, I guess the, I guess what we're saying here is... Date um, code your shit. <laughs> date code your shit. Anchor, um, and while I'm thinking about it, Lagunitas, <laughs> off the top of my head, those are the two, but there are others. I mean, good job, since they did an obscure date code, they have it readily available on their website. True. So, good job on that, but, I mean, look at Deschutes, 5 20, 19. Perfect. So, let, so a little over a month old from uh, from, from that one. Yes. So, Do you want uh, to crack one? I was going to say, let's perfect transition into the Deschutes. So we went from 75 to the class of 88 here. Um, Jeremy, I mean, growing up or going to school over in Oregon, you're a little more familiar with Deschutes? Um, yeah. So <laughs> to be honest, my first introduction to craft beer was um, actually Stone. It was Stone's Arrogant Bastard was one of the first ones I, I distinctly remember, along with a few locals. But um, uh, Mere Pond was definitely definitely up there. I don't remember it making a huge uh, uh, impact on me, but um, it definitely is a go-to. Yeah, I mean, 5%, 40 IBUs. Uh, the Liberty was 5.9, and I can't remember the IBUs. I want to say it was around 40 to 50, so we're looking similar range on both. But again, it's been a while since I had this. It has too. God, wow. That has like a great big floral almost. Do you get like a berry nose on that? A little bit. And not quite a tropical fruit, but not quite like a citrus. I feel like they've they've altered this recipe since I, I had it because I do not remember that 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 nose on it. I feel like uh, there's there's been a switch in the hops, but and touching on. Uh, but that being said, the freshness. Is, yeah, uh, they put on their bottle freshest within four months. There we go. See, 
Anchor, be like the shoots. And they put a born on date and then tell their retailers, do it within four months. But yeah, that's got a nice, like, um, it's very easy drinking. It's got like this hint of orange peel on it. I do get like a little bit of like tropical fruit hops. Again, I'm still, I'm kind of curious as to whether they've altered the recipe because the original one, I believe is, I think a lot of these are supposed to be just Cascade hops because I think Sierra Nevada is. is Cascade. Liberty was. Um, I checked when we were, when we were checking to see if uh, Deschutes even still made Mirror Pond. That's how hard it was to find it in this city. Um, <laughs> it said that their only hop is Cascade. So, um I don't know, so that would suggest they haven't stuck any more hops in there, but I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe it's me, maybe it's I'm thinking about this uh, uh, wrong, but it, yeah, it's, there's, there's a brightness to it I don't yeah. really remember. No, it's uh, very easy drinking, just bright, hop-forward beer that's not going to weigh you down, and it's perfect for sitting out on a boat. Indeed. Well, uh, while we're... Drink some beer. Let's get a little bit into some news. We're uh, we're not just going to be sitting here drinking beer all day. Um, so independent craft beer news now. Um, I was on the actually on the fence about doing this story, but we actually got a couple of emails uh, on this, which is a staggering response for anything we do with our uh, with our audience base. <laughs> so uh, thank you for Erica and Darren for uh, the uh, the heads up on this one. Um, so. This comes from Brewbound's Chris Finari. The BA is looking to make this July 3rd National Independent Beer Run Day to use, to basically to urge customers who are getting their 4th of July beers and heading out to camp, boat, or whatever the hell there is they're going to do this, uh, do that holiday weekend, to instead make the choice to uh, select a craft beer bearing the independent craft seal um, instead of your normal run-of-the-mill Budweiser, what have you. Um, they're launching a series of commercials, uh, a Pandora playlist, and according to Craft Business Daily, the world's longest cheers, the lo- world's longest continuous toast. They're going to stream this live on Facebook, and they're going to toast all 7,300 7, small and independent breweries that bear the craft beer symbol. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so... If, I suppose if you want to watch some guy hold a beer for a really awkward amount of time and read off a list of names, if that I want to know how many names he fucks up. <laughs> well, I mean they're not they're they're not terribly complicated names, most of them. Yes, but people, you'd be surprised. Like I've talked to some of the local beer reps out and around. And I've heard of one of the locals, uh, Payette, being called Payetti. Okay, Payettes, they're going to, yeah. I actually had somebody come into the tap room today, look at our menu and say, uh, give me that, I don't remember what he said, but he's something along the lines of Payetti or Payu or something like, he stops and goes, well, peyote. I don't know. <laughs> peyote. Give me some of that peyote. Eh, not Wrong state, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. The alleyway out back in like an hour. Shut your trap. <laughs> Leave the 20 here. <laughs> <laughs> totally different side business. Um, but, um, okay, yeah, there's going to be a few they screw up. But anyway, so the, so they're doing that, which is kind of adorable. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and they're doing a, a series of commercials. Um, we've, got them, uh, we've got them up on our Twitter feed if, you're, if you want to take a look at them. But they're, the idea is they basically uh, don't forget the craft beer. They're kind of adorable. Which I am, I, I do kind of like that they're doing this. I, I am a fan of the independent craft seal. Um, why I don't think it makes a huge difference in business. There are that small subset of customers that do want to know if it's a independently run company and not owned by a corporation. And I, I know I've had people ask me why I'm out doing tasting. You know, how can you tell? And I'm like, you see this seal right here? Look for it. If you see it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, now whether it's going to influence their decision, who knows. But And also, 4th of July is a notoriously slow day for bars and like tap rooms. Because, let's be honest, everyone goes over to someone's house, barbecues, shoots fireworks, goes to watch fireworks, goes boating, camping. 
Oh yeah, I my brief stint at a grocery store selling beer uh, during the Fourth of July weekend was basically my Vietnam. Oh, um, just slammed. I mean, it was trying to trying to keep. I would fill an area and then walk away and come back, and it would just be gutted, and was it was harrowing. The only thing good about it was the amount of very attractive ladies who were looking for beer. I don't know what it is about that weekend, but there was God a lot God bless of, America. There was a lot of attractive women not wearing a lot of clothing, and that really did help get through the day, except for... It's why Fourth of July is one of my favorite holidays. A lot of them were, were looking for a white claw at the time, and that was when... That was right when... You the were distri- out? <laughs> the distributor was out. The state of Idaho was out. So I made a lot of really pretty girls very sad that weekend. <laughs> Which, you know, again, helped me get through a day. <laughs> but yeah. It was a reversal of high school for Jeremy. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> I got tons of white claw on the back and you can't have it. <laughs> That's a lie. I would, I, I would give it to you if I had it. Um, anyway. That's what Jeremy said in high school, too. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Let's, let, I'm, let's be honest. <laughs> Backing away from my failure as... Uh, <laughs> My romantic failures in high school. Um, so in the article, the seal you kind of set, you, were, you kind of touched on how much the seal actually influences people. Um, the article in Brewbound quotes a Nielsen poll that says forty eight percent of those surveyed uh, said they recognized or had seen the seal before. So that's a start. That's almost half of all random people. And that's pretty good. Now, was the survey done as a blind recall, or did they show them the seal and say, have you seen this before? So, I dove into a rabbit hole later, and I will... uh, There was another figure that they quoted, which just made me go, wait, what the fuck? So, actually, let's go ahead and... So, the other... They also quoted a figure that said um, that customers of independent craft make... Purchases forty three percent more lo- more often than consumers who are con- than consumers have bought of or, or purchased breweries. So I decided to go. Hey, what the hell do those two terms mean? Because what is a is it an independent craft customer? Somebody who exclusively buys that, or are they a sometimes? None of this av- information is available from Nielsen that I could find. Yeah, because they're not going to give that up. Uh- <laughs> The only thing I can think of, and you may have the answer, is I'm assuming because most of the big breweries that have been purchased have the size varieties of usually six packs, 12 packs, uh, or a mixed case. So you're going to buy that less frequently, where most smaller independent breweries are going to be single 22-ounce bottle or six-pack. That's as good as a theory as I can come up with because I, I, I'm not sure what that really indicated. But So there's that bizarre figure. They also said that um, – so going back to the original thing. So 48% of people recognized the, uh, the, the label and 58% of those said the seal holds, quote, some importance, which – So about 20% according to Nielsen of people who buy beer – says that that looking for the seal has some importance which i think is somewhere between i buy that exclusively to i if it's there yay if it's the same price as this other one that seal may sway me to the other one unless i really love this beer um but uh and we've talked about we talked about this uh the independent craft seal a lot um last month when dogfish head Became mm-hmm. uh, the property of uh, of, uh, of Sam awesome Adams, um, or should I say, they became partners slash partners in air quotes. Um, they are now their property. Let's just go ahead and face facts. Um, which I don't know. That still really affected me. I probably I'm still probably in that fifty eight percent that it does mean something, but it means considerably less now for me. Um, I don't know how if that if that did the same for you. But I was kind of poking around. I feel like there is a little bit of skepticism now, and that uh, and that the uh, the BA is sort of muddying the waters that they intended to clear up uh, with this independent craft seal. 
I don't think it's done that for me. Uh, yes, if Dogfish had has it, I'm like, uh, yeah, Dogfish had is owned by Sam Adams now, whatever. Uh, the big thing for me is it's just nice to have the information. I mean, it's not going to, for the most part, it is not going to drive my decision. But if I see a beer on the shelf that I'm like, oh, I haven't had this before. What's this? I'll look. If I see that, I'm like, oh, cool. It is independent. It's not some random fake brewery that one of the big <laughs> guys tried to make to pull the wool over your eyes. Not saying all that don't have the seal or that, but... It's... Totally all that don't have the seal don't have that. And while we're on the subject, on our Pale Ale lineup, only one apparently actually is actually has the seal on it, which yeah. is from the shoots. Yeah. The rest of them, I'm kind of looking down the, uh, down the line. Well... Oscar Blues probably doesn't qualify anymore. It's in that they're the private equity investment, so it's that gray area. I'm just, I'm a little shocked that Sierra sure. Nevada. I was have that too. On there. It may have been on the actual six pack, not the individual bottles and cans. Um, our local per, uh, local guys, Boise Brewing, it's not on there. Which I was surprised by that one. That really did, and and actually Crux too. But so, but Crux does have their own version. Where it's the boots that said uh, brewer owned and operated because they are employee owned. Okay. So I kind of get if they've, they've had that for a long time, not wanting to replace that for the upside down bottle. Fair enough. So, uh, but no, I mean, if I look and I don't see it, I'm like, okay, do I want to get it? If it still sounds like a beer I want to try, it, I'm going to buy it regardless. If I see that, it further incentivizes it. I was kind of thinking myself, so I was kind of doing a thought experiment earlier today. Let's say some of the BA hears our constant, or hears my constant bitching about the independent craft seal, and they show up in my house and said, you know what, asshole, you figure out what independent craft means. What would, what would my requirement be? And so I kind of thought about this, and I, and I thought... Number one, I would change the amount of barrels from down from several million. I'd say a hundred thousand or less. Why? Because when you get a, 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 an operation of a hundred thousand, and I picked a hundred thousand kind of arbitrarily. I probably think there's a better number to get to. Uh, to get to, might be more, might be less, but I threw kind of spitballed a hundred thousand, mostly because. Scaling up much from that's a huge operation. That's bigger than any brewery. That is, but my f in Idaho, my counter argument's going to be uh, DG Yingling and Sons uh, mm -hmm. and Meinhaus out of Wisconsin. Both family run. I mean, Yingling is for God's sake the oldest brewery in America and been family run since the get go. Fair enough. And so they do traditional brewing process. Don't do any of the shortcuts AB and Bev or Miller Coors does. They're family run. It's a family business still. It's the founder's granddaughter who's running it to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, because his son didn't have any sons. So um, how does that, that not qualify as independent? I just... I mean, because they've got too good. And they only distribute to like... Ten states. True, they have a small, they have a smaller distribution footprint than some than say even founders or Oscar Blues or Oscar Blues or Sierra Nevada. I guess I turn back to small independent craft, which is they are. I mean, you're right. They do follow all those practices, but they are still a major fucking operation. They are, but that seal says nothing about small. True, but if I, I'm I'm saying what what I would be looking for in like craft beer is i like that i i like this a, a smaller production run yeah but and again just playing devil's advocate here, <laughs> i know uh there's a seal for belgian family run breweries over in belgium yes so that is how i have always imagined this this is the american equivalent of that you don't have to be a family run brewery but you have to be independently operated <laughs> fair I'm just saying if I was given the given run to do that, I would put a restriction on bear. And they do have, except for it's like what Yingling produces or less. And that moving bar, I think, is... It was what Sam Adams produces or less. Um, now it's what Yingling produces or less. 
and that moving bar is... Because for the longest time, Yingling wasn't allowed in because they used corn in one of their beers, but they used the traditional brewing process to use the corn because back when they were first founded, right. malted barley wasn't that easy to get in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. So Still isn't. <laughs> so once they made that addition, it, it brought in that and Meinhaus out of Wisconsin uh, because outside of that, they were falling in. But Yingling was just so far ahead because in most places on the East Coast, it's a domestic. Fair. And I'm not saying that I, I think they think that they absolutely shouldn't. I'm just saying the information I think people, what the people have in mind when they think independent craft, I think small should be added to that. If I were given complete control, I'd say it should be small independent craft. Or make a secondary variation of this that is the small so it's a different color if you use blue it's or black or whatever um, i like the I, I think that the uh the the percentage owned by some other entity is fine uh what's like 25 percent owned it's got to be less than 25 percent. that's probably that's probably fine because um, if you own 10%, you really don't have much say in day-to-day. Yeah, you should. It, it, it ought to be controlled by some buddy or some entity that's not a major conglomerate. That absolutely makes sense. 100% fine with that. And most importantly, I think once you start buying up brands, you're a conglomerate, you lose it. Because... Oscar Blues? Oscar Blues, yeah, that makes sense. They don't have it. Sam Adams, I'm looking in your direction. And I'd be fine with that caveat in there. I'm not so much on the small because it almost gives me, I almost have a little more respect for the guys who've gotten big doing it this way than the guys who are still small doing it this way. Well, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Although if you have a, uh, if, if, if you're on my side with small uh, independent craft, (laughs) tell you what, we'll have Jeremy throw it out on Twitter in a Twitter poll. Uh, should the barrel limit on the, independent be lowered or not i'm coming for you ba give me control i'll take you down (laughs) oh so we're moving on on our on our run of pails where are we at now uh we just bounced over to the sierra nevada pale ale so a little flashback to last week um i mean last week we had it because it won third um in the lineup i think i like it slight i like i like mirror pond slightly more it's got um the mirror pond's just got a little bit more it's just a little bit more drinkability i feel like the balance is just slightly better and i could get that i mean uh the sierra nevada pale ale 5.6 percent alcohol so 0.6 above the mirror pond uh packaged on dates uh 5.9 for the sierra nevada 5.20 for the mirror pond so we're looking 11 days fresher as well so yeah and i I get a little bit of lingering bitterness. I mean, the the flavor profile is creepily identical. So maybe, so I I, I almost withdraw my uh, my uh, assertion that maybe Mirror Pond had been tampered with somehow, because the I still get the the although I get more floral on Sierra Nevadas, and I don't get that like almost fruity nose that uh, I don't that, get the fruity, but I think Mirror Pond at least for me was a little more floral. Yeah, yeah. The floral comes out more in Sierra Nevada, but... Oh, see, I think the floral... Or, excuse came... me, yeah, the floral comes out more on, uh, on Mirror Pond, yeah. Yes. The... And there is a more bitter bite coming through on the Sierra Nevada. So, I mean, if we're, if we're ranking, and we totally are, always, um, the Shoots is currently winning out. Uh, and the Liberty Ale got a DNF. <laughs> Did not finish. <laughs> But if you can, if you get a chance, I mean, the Liberty Pale Ale is one of my favorites. If you it's, get a chance to have it fresh, if it's try not it. a year old, I feel like it's good. Yeah, maybe if it's like three months old, it's it's still a uh, or within a month, <laughs> maybe that. So, um, Tyler, you want to move on to the next story? Yeah. So taking a look here, I found an article by VinePair.com. Where they asked 16 brewers, what's the weirdest beer you've ever tried to brew? And with Jeremy and I's background in uh, home brewing, as well as, I mean, let's be honest here, craft brewers love to try to push the envelope with weird, funky shit. If there are two things that can be slammed together, home brewers and craft beer uh, producers will slam those two things together. Whether they should or not. I mean, if they physically can be slammed together, they will do it. 
in the words of Jeff Goldblum, they were so busy thinking whether they could, they didn't stop to think whether they should. And they ended up with a T-Rex of horribleness. <laughs> and a keg. <laughs> uh, so, I'm just going to highlight a couple here, and then Jeremy and I can kind of talk about some weird beers that we've wanted to concoct up. Uh, so, one of them was a guy brewed an Imperial Stout with Atomic Fireball Candy. Uh, he won a nice roasty stout with a little bit of cinnamon and sweet. It turned out tasting like beef jerky. I've now I this makes a bit of sense to me because actually um, my now Imperial Stout recipe I stumbled upon using uh, my wife's cinnamon roll coffee for because uh, it's so it was roughly based off of uh, the founders KBS okay but instead of going out to get the Sumatra coffee because I forgot. Cheap. <laughs> Uh, no, I forgot. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't cheap. It was laziness. I'm, in my defense, I'm a lazy bastard, not a cheap bastard. Um, I was gonna get it out. The, go get it the day before. I I forgot. I wanted to brew. I wanted to get it done. So I went into the kitchen, got my wife's cinnamon roll coffee, and it's um it's still one of my the favorite my favorite beers that I that I brew here. Um, so I understand the cinnamon. Now that being said. The atomic fireballs just seems like a bad idea. <laughs> oh, hundred uh, percent. Just wait till you hear about the next one. Oh God, brace um, yourself. So, this brewer did a one-barrel batch of a kettle sour with little hug fruit barrels. You know the little colored barrels, like filled with Kool-Aid sugary drink. Oh God. Oh yeah. With the like what? tin foil lid. Oh God. Oh no, that's not. So that's not okay. Uh. I feel like that's a crime against... I feel like it's a war crime. I'm not what, sure exactly Jeff, how. It gets better. So instead of using water to mash and sparge, they used 800 containers of the Blue Raspberry Little Hugs to mash and sparge. Dear fuck God. Apparently the yeast struggled with the preservatives, <laughs> <laughs> fermented super slow, and stalled out a little earlier than they wanted. The final beer was bluish green with a touch of sweetness, but tasted better than they had feared. Because even the yeast were like, fuck this shit. Uh, they also served it with a little bit of lemonade as a shandy. And apparently people still ask when they're brewing that beer again. All right. So just further proof that people will can and will drink just about anything. Uh, another good one was uh, a guy... Uh, had seen oyster stouts, uh, stouts made with oysters, and decided... That is a thing. ...to take a little different approach. He did a dry stout with mussels. I mean, that... Similar family, Okay, but... yeah. I Again, I feel like there's... There's something wrong with that, but... Uh, apparently, it turned out very well, resulted in a slightly salted beer with a rich and persistent foam. So, it, it ended up working out for the best. There is a ton of great ones. Uh, the last one I'm going to kind of finish up with was probably my favorite one reading. Because if this isn't a home brewer, nothing is. <laughs> um, he goes on to talk in the early days of his all-grain home brewing. And I'm sure Jeremy can attest your first couple batches going from extract to all-grain were a little rocky. Um let me just go ahead and say that batch number two, nobody told me that you can't use 100% wheat in a beer. <laughs> so I had a lesson in um, diastatic. <laughs> I was just, not even stuck mash. I had a lesson in diastatic activity. <laughs> uh, so he decided to make a classic robust porter. Uh, something went wrong in the process and it just tasted super thin uh, and not very robust. It had the right color, just not quite the depth of flavor. And the mouthfeel. Uh, apparently one of his friends, his real good friend, calling it burnt water. Uh, <laughs> he didn't like to waste beer, so he decided to try to salvage the beer by aging it on oak chips. That didn't help much either. It just made it oaky, roasty, and watery. Uh, then he had read up on the process of ice distilling. Uh, so he thought, the beer's watery. If I remove some of the water, the beer might turn out good. So he sanitized a plastic bucket, transferred the beer into it, and stuck it into the freezer. According to the home brewer, uh, 
the results were a slight improvement. It still wasn't very good. And then several months later, he ran out of fresh homebrew and decided to revisit the porter out of curiosity. Poured a glass and was struck by a sour aroma. He ended up tasting it and it was really good. And he was like, how'd it get soured? I, I fucking oak-aged it, and I ice-distilled it. And then he thought back about the bucket that he had used to ice-distill it. It was the same bucket that he had used to make sauerkraut in before ice-distilling it. Uh, but this is the ultimate home brewer making a bad beer and keep trying to change something and making it worse almost until it becomes good. I mean, every part of this story is amazing because... I, talk he about, had failed up. Tech, talk about failing your way to success. I just like, and plus, when I saw this, I was looking, expecting to look down and see Abe Lincoln or something. <laughs> I mean, as as a home brewer, I do absolutely get the well. It's a shitty beer now. Let's do this. Let's try to salvage it. I mean, because what's the worst possible thing you're gonna do? You're gonna make an undrinkable beer undrinkable. That's that's the absolute worst. So. Eh, why the fuck not? So you're keeping it at par. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I, I I don't know. That's a, a beautiful story that... I, and I hope he entered it because he's never, ever going to make that again. Oh, because, you can't recreate that. Because even if you could take perfect notes, you get, well, like, all right, I got to make sauerkraut, and I have to do the sauerkraut for a week in the bucket. Then I got to ice the shit. I ice the still before I put it in the sauerkraut bucket. I, you got to do it at the same time. God damn it, it's not the same. And... Fucker, fucking up a robust porter where it's super watery. Good luck trying to replicate that to a T again. <laughs> um, so let, let's hop in. What's the weirdest beer you've made or attempted to make? Because there was a couple where he's like, I was going to do this and then I wasn't able to. I mean, I've had a lot of ideas for... You know what? I've got to be completely honest. I'm pretty safe and vanilla. Uh, when I come to come to beers I brew here, um, I don't uh, I don't do a lot of wild experimentation. But let's see. Um, uh, on the uh, I did so a friend of mine hit one of his favorite beers is the Cucumber Crush from Ten Barrel. Okay. And for his wedding, uh, he wanted me to make a beer for him, and I actually won second place overall in the fair last year. You know. Because I'm awesome. Uh, Way to toot your own horn. Damn right. Hey, got to be your own fan. Um, but my Raspberry Lambic won second place overall, so pretty proud about that, obviously. But he was like, hey, can you make a cucumber sour, cucumber Lambic? No. I researched this, and what I basically got was the, was the internet equivalent of that. Please don't do that. But, I, but he said, I really want you to do that. And so I... After going, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure? Are you sure, sure, sure? Are you sure, 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 sure? He did want me to do it. So we did it. And we ended up with basically pickle water. Which he still to this day professes to have loved. He he, he served it at his wedding. Uh, drank a bunch <laughs> of it. You know, happier than a pig and shit that it was there. And that was what's important to me. But... To me, it did taste like pickle water because it had a bit of vinegar in. Oh, man. <laughs> so I think the weirdest beer I ever did was I wanted to do a beer that I titled The Redneck Breakfast. Okay. So I wanted an oatmeal pale ale, so with about 10% oats in it, because, you know, oatmeal breakfast, uh, just super juicy, citrusy, Pale ale. Mm-hmm. Wanted it to almost drink like orange juice with that oatmeal mouthfeel. I vaguely remember you talking about this now, yeah. Uh, and I ended up doing it, testing out the grandfather at the place we worked at that we were going to start running out. I did that. The base, because it didn't get to as vigorous of a boil as I wanted, I missed my numbers and didn't really... I wasn't satisfied with the base. But the topper of all that was, if I would have hit the base... I was going to serve each pint with a raw egg cracked into it because, I mean, you've got all your nest. you got your orange juice, your oatmeal, and your egg. You've got your redneck breakfast. That is in 
But then, as I started thinking, I was like, I don't know if I could drink it. If I had to crack an egg and drink that, I don't know if I could. So if someone wants to experiment and do that, let me know how it is. Uh, absolutely, and then send us send us each a bottle, and then dump the rest. Maybe after having a priest uh, uh, exercise it, because <laughs> that just is wrong on several accounts. Um, I made a lot of, like I said, there was, my, there was my all wheat beer before I realized, oh yeah, wheat doesn't convert itself. Also, what's conversion? Hey, why is this whole all grain thing work in the first place? Like I said, there's that. That's kind of like my uh, kettle sour that uh, <laughs> soured too far and uh, had no alcohol. How did I forget that? So yes, so um, there was a moment in Tyler's brewing career where he was decided he was just going to do sours at home. And his first one that was, was a, short-lived. <laughs> his his first one was a goza, and because um, it was summer and gozas it, are delicious. I'm not arguing your uh, your choice of style. <laughs> it's your method that I <laughs> had a quibble with. So not thinking that to sour the beer, the lactobacillus eats up sugars. I was like, okay, so I pitched some lactobacillus. I may have overpitched. I'm kind of known for overpitching. Overkill's underrated. Are you not entertained? <laughs> uh-huh. I go, and I am I decide, you know, I'm living in an apartment at this time, so I take my carboy, my kettle, my burner, to the homebrew shop that we're working. Jeremy's working. Yes. I, I can verify bring this. it up to a boil. Stunk to high fucking heaven. So I feel like I need to interject here. Um, so we're running a business at this, or like trying to run a business. And if it was a Sunday, and if you haven't smelled what like five gallons of almost pure lactic acid boiling, <laughs> so at like, the brewery that I work at, when we do kettle sours, the smells just as bad, and there's still sugar in it. So it's this, uh, the boiling smell, a kettle sour is terrible. Okay, well, so I guess maybe the process, but this was awful. But I distinctly remember this was my one of my favorite things ever. Um, t- I finish up the boil. I have my chiller in there for the last 15 minutes of the boil to sanitize the chiller so I can start cooling it down. As I got it down about chilled, I pull off a sample to do a gravity reading. I'm like, Jeremy, can you do a gravity reading for me? So I take so I take that sample with the hydrometer, drop the hydrometer in, and it reads one. <laughs> now... If you're not so, if you're not familiar with brewing, um, a hydrometer measures the amount of dissolved sugars in liquid. One is basically water. water. Um, it should be more than that if there's any sugar in. So obviously, the bacteria had gone and eat, all, eaten all the sugar and produced lactic acid. All I gotta say is that's the cleanest my chiller had ever been. It sparkled. I, I when I told him, uh, dude, your, uh, your your gravity is one. He's like, no, it's not. Like, and then I checked, and I was like, ah, like, oh, Dude, fuck. you come look at this. I don't know what to tell you. I'm looking at where it's floating, and it's one. That's. <laughs> and then I ended up dumping this batch, and after I dumped it, one of our other co-workers, I'm pissed off that I didn't think of this, goes, why didn't you brew five gallons of the base recipe again instead of infecting it, just ferment it, and then blend the two, and then you have ten gallons of a goza? And I was like... Because I didn't think of that, and now I'm really fucking pissed. <laughs> That's all, the simple solution will elude you every time. Yes, yes, it will. So, but uh, what are we drinking on now, Jeremy? So, so we've moved on. We're at actually one of your picks for uh, uh, a a legacy pale ale. This is Dale's Pale Ale from Oscar Blues, and um, I don't know. It's it feels muted somehow, and you're and you're, and you immediately took a drink and checked the date, which is almost my reaction. What's the uh, what are we looking at there? It's a month. Okay, so it's well within well within range. Yep. Uh, so I did look up the numbers on this. It's six point five six point five percent ABV and sixty IBUs. So this is almost more an IPA than a pale ale. Which I remember the first time I ever had this. Just opening it up and just smelling the aroma of hops, like, come out of the cannon. The great part about this is this is the first pale ale, really first craft beer, put into a can. Um, the thing that's starting out for me right now in the lineup is that if I... A blind taste, 
with what we've drunk already, I would say, I'd almost ask, is this a British pale ale? Uh-huh. Because that's almost what I'm getting. I'm, it's I'm getting way more, more malt forward. It's malt forward, and I'm getting, whereas, so all three beers so far, I think, have been exclusively Cascade, which was actually kind of an interesting, We did, I don't think we meant to do it this way, but we did. The first three beers are all Cascade hops, and then from here on out, they're not. So this one feels like more, I don't know, again, it strikes me more like an English pale ale. It's spicier, it's earthier, it's definitely more bitter. Um, Drinkability-wise, I right now it's kind of, uh, I, I put it behind the shoots in, uh, in Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh... In its little sell sheet online, it does say that it uses citrus floral hops. And I remember the first time having it, yeah, I got that big floral aroma. But for some reason on this can, I'm not getting it. Which, which after a month, that should... that this It can, should still be there. I think it's, I think it's more a, a product of putting up against what we've had already because... Even if you did get a big burst of floral, I don't think it was anything close to what we got off of Mirror Pond. Or, or is it just starting to get diluted at this point? We're four in. Hey, you know what? All right, four so four pale ales is nothing. I've done enough competitions where they set 12 in front of you, and you got to differentiate them. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> this is beer number seven for me today. I had three before I got here. <laughs> I'm probably on number, well, this would be number five myself, so. <laughs> All right. Well, while we are, while we are uh, enjoying the, uh, uh, enjoying that beer, we'll move on. Um, your fucking low-calorie craft beer is a fad news now. We've talked on this podcast a little bit about the latest fad, trend, direction, delete as necessary for your view, that Craft brewers making low alcohol or low calorie Michelob Ultra is kind of the uh, the benchmark for uh, for these type of beers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we've talked about this, our various opinions on this. Um, this comes from Dave at uh, one of the bloggers at the Full Pint. Um, this article is called "Low Alcohol Slash Low Calorie Craft Beer Will Die a Quick Death," and that just made me very very happy to read. Just something about that just made me happy to read. Um, this article is up on our Twitter feed right now, but uh, basically his thesis is is that this whole healthy, healthier for you beer, Michelob Ultra beer, all of this is going to go away, and he cites three reasons. Ready for this? Yeah. Number one, he goes back to the death of the Session IPA. He noted that... Or the extra pale ale before that is what... It went extra pale ale, then they got rebranded as Session IPA. And then they started selling good again, and then they just fucking disappeared hard. Wow! Right off the bat, you're just gonna come at him. You're just gonna come at you. Fuck session IPAs. <laughs> His so he noted that five or six years ago, everybody and their mother who owned a brewery was doing the session IPAs, or maybe extra pale ale, whatever you want to call it. Well, no, extra pale ale was another three or four years before session IPA. They kind of died off, and the best example was. Uh, 21st Amendment had a beer that was their originally their extra pale ale. Right. And I can't remember what it was called. I just remember there was a monkey in a spacesuit. Oh, um oh shit. The the something American, the the God damn it, I remember I know exactly what you're talking about. But once extra pale ale started not becoming popular, they pulled it. Once session IPAs took off, they released the same beer instead of extra pale ale, called it a session IPA. And it sold great. For a while. For a minute. And then Session IPA started to fall off after that summer. And bada bing, bada boom. And his reasoning for why Session IPA went away was basically a function of value. You're at the supermarket. You're looking at a bunch of six packs. Most breweries line price their beers. Or close. Or close. I think... Especially in a supermarket environment, they encourage line pricing to make it easier. If you want to get into beer pricing, go check out the CEO of Henhouse Brewing's Twitter feed. He breaks it all down. It's a great read if you're a beer nerd and a business nerd. 
awesome. I feel like that is a whole episode in and of itself. Is oh, a, it, it, I spent about 30 minutes just reading through his tweets, laughing and being like, this is so true. So, <laughs> Beer pricing is, that's a whole different... His name's Colin McDonald. Go check him out. It's worth it. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, but the, the, the reason for the death of the Session IPA was essentially that is a function of value. You're looking at six packs. You got a session IPA at 4.5. You've got a proper IPA at six to seven. Uh, you go for the six or seven because it's going to get you drunker for less amount of money. Simple or the same as that. amount. Or the same amount of money. Exactly. So it's a function of value. You're getting more bang for your buck. My whole problem with the session IPA was it was four, four point five percent. But it was like 10 IBUs lower than their regular IPA. And so it was just overly bitter and lingering and not good. Well, and that's kind of where I uh, arrived too was if for me, and I don't, I can't speak for your average uh, craft beer buyer, but I never liked it because most session IPAs are just... Kicking in the back of their throat and ejaculate just... lupulin down your throat? I... Well, yeah, sure, we'll go with that. I wasn't the, uh, the that was not, dear Lord, what the hell's the matter with you? We went over, we used that act, <laughs> or that expression no, I, in another episode, so. Oh, I, 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 I remember, but it just, <laughs> just that image is, is, is. is, uh, is throat <laughs> fucking you. <laughs> Didn't need that at the moment. Wow. <laughs> Say my alpha acid. <laughs> Sorry, daddy, my alpha acid. 5.5! <laughs> They're horribly, <laughs> horribly unbalanced. That's what I'm getting for here. So for me, it was a function of they're just not good. Uh, with a few exceptions, I think the biggest one that everybody rolls out is the all-day IPA. Somehow, some alchemy, the all-day IPA is still good. Because it was more balanced. Exactly. So, I don't know. Just Keep, a hoppy pale ale. Um, this article says it's a function of value. I'm more of a, they're just not that tasty. The idea is sound. Hey, let's make a West Coast IPA, but you know something lighter so that you don't get absolutely blasted off your tits. Turns out people want to do that. That's why we drink beer. <laughs> it's one of the reasons. The second point was the health slash active lifestyle is inherently bullshit. His argument is basically that adding guava or ginger or whatever the fuck you're adding to this concoction. We'll get you one by, but not a second. It basically, 4% alcohol is 4% alcohol. It doesn't make it healthy. Um, you can add whatever the fuck you want. No alcohol is healthy. Right. When it boils down, finally. Doesn't matter if you're drinking a fucking White Claw or vodka. Oddly enough, a shot of Jack Daniels is 40 calories less than a shot of Smirnoff vodka. Really? I did not know that. I would think they're roughly the same because the, I mean, the calories come from alcohol and alcohol is alcohol, Mm -hmm. but there's less alcohol in Jack Daniels. Yes. Explain yourself. Explain your chemistry. I don't know. Get get. I want a scientist down here to explain this shit. I was going to say, call Boise State's chem department. I don't know. Come down here and explain yourself, assholes. Um, but this doesn't actually make sense to me because for the simple reason that uh, people are, uh, how do you call it, stupid. <laughs> so You don't say... Well, you well, it's true that you know a five percent alcohol is five percent alcohol. Doesn't matter what you add to it. If you tell people, "Hey, we've added ginseng to this five percent alcohol concoction. It's better for you." People will believe that, and it's not regulated by the FDA. And it's easy for get, to get people to believe that. So I'm not sure I buy that because I think as you can keep convincing people that this is a healthier option forever and a day, but. Um, so, I so Dave, I object to your second thesis. People are dumb. Um, the third, but his third point was that if people want low alcohol, low ABV, there are better options. Um, craft beer is not the the right entity to fill that void uh, because craft beer will just never be able to make what people are looking for if they're looking for. Something low in calories, something low in alcohol, something quote-unquote healthier for you. You're better off turning to Michelob Ultra. You're better off turning to White Claw. You're better off turning to something like that. 
Um, there will always be a market for uh, for craft beer to come out with their version of a light lager, and I'm, we're mm-hmm. obviously seeing a lot of that. Uh, which just have, I love. Which is yeah, it is kind of cool to have craft beer kind of making their mark on. Hey, let's take this. If I go to a barbecue, I can take a six or a twelve pack of a local pilsner or lager, and I know everyone will have one. And it's just you. I mean, just a little bit more. You got a little bit more flavor than you know your fucking mm-hmm. Budweiser, Acetylenehyde, or your Coors Light, which is almost water. Um, it's the having sex with canoe joke right there. Um, but otherwise, craft beer is just not the thing to do. It craft beer is is full flavored. It's uh, uh, it's full of it's full flavored. It's full bodied. It's not good for you, and that's kind of the point. Yeah. So this whole idea of trying to like shove it, shove this square peg into that round hole, is inherently stupid. Yeah. Which, you know what? That's not going to stop craft brewers from trying to shove that said round peg and said square hole, or vice versa. We're what five beers in now, so <laughs> I think it's beginning to show. <laughs> uh, quick little edit. Um, it's thirty-two calories between. I just double checked it. Thirty-two calories. Sorry, between Jack Daniels and Smirnoff. My okay. Bad. All right. So, so you fuck- 65 versus 97. So you're done fucked up. So Everything's wrong. Uh, but I also think that I totally agree with this dude. But on the second hand, one reason I would have added is not necessarily so much that it's because of the already existing brands like Michelob or White Claw. It's a lot of breweries are starting to diversify and add a second company where they're basically contract brewing for that second company and making their own hard seltzers. Yes. Like uh, Oscar Blues does Uh, a wild basin. Uh, I just saw an article for Two Roads Brewing out of Connecticut is doing their own hard seltzer. Sockeye Brewing is... Now I saw adding that. a hard seltzer. It's a separate company, but it's that makes me very very sad. But I mean, well, it's cheap and you can turn and burn. And I mean, looking at it, it doesn't make any. It's not going to affect Sockeye's production. True, and or any of these breweries' production because they already have the equipment. You just have to add sugar to water and ferment it. And I don't think you even have to ferment it. You take grain alcohol, you take seltzer water, you take... So a lot of places are doing cane sugar and reverse osmosis water and then fermenting it to 5%, then carbonating the, it, and adding flavor. Then adding the citric acid and whatever else that yep. make it taste vaguely like lime or vaguely like lemon. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I, I was there. I saw it. The amount of people looking for White Claw, as I said... We're bringing it back to that 4th fourth of, fourth mm-hmm. of July. I made a lot of very pretty girls very sad by and not having white you get cloth. a premium price on a cheap product. Although, I will say, I had a, we couldn't get white claw, but I did still have a little bit of Truly, and I had a little bit of the AB InBev version, the Spike Seltzer. The Bon & Viv. That's what they call it now. At the time, it was still Spike Seltzer. Um, and I had a lot of people, when I said, well, I don't have any more of that, but I do have Truly, I had... I got a lot of, oh, but I really like White Claw. There was something about White Claw. So I was talking with a couple other reps, and I'm like, I feel if you're getting into the hard seltzer game, at least in the Treasure Valley, you've got to get in packaging stores because that's the only chance you have on. And it's got to be quality because once you, you'll get that first bite out of curiosity, especially if you can brand it as a local-made hard seltzer in the Treasure Valley. And it's got to be good to get that second repurchase. But in like an on-premise bar, it's White Claw or nothing. What is, I mean, maybe there is not answer, no answer that's uh, appropriate, but what is it about that shit that is... I think it, I honestly, it's the name and the logo. Fair enough. I, I think that's it. Uh, because, I mean, similar size cans pretty much across. White Claw is easier to say than Truly. Yeah, but I think I'll well, all right, I'll go with that. I don't To me White Claw rolls better. White Claw, truly. Say it to yourself as you're driving to uh to work or driving home from work, whatever you're doing right now. And then Anheuser-Busch's Bon and Viv, that's just off in the left fucking field. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of like 
uh, uh, spiked seltzers. There's nothing like it. We were actually been drinking on this for a minute, so we've moved on to Boise Brewing Syringa Pale. Um, unfortunately, I feel like we've uh, found another another beer that's past its prime. Um, when was this can? You were look. We, you took a drink of the, took a drink of this and then showed it to me. I think you'll probably notice somewhere during my spiel about uh, about uh, uh, about the uh, what were we just talking about? <laughs> this uh, beer is why good. Uh, healthy <laughs> yeah, IPAs. That, so why healthy healthy beers are going away? So there's probably a weird pause where he's showing me the can and I go, oh well, that's not good. No. I so. think that was the exact words too. <laughs> uh, so this was can ten twenty two eighteen. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say this is not we we did not sell this one. This is not our fault. Um, but uh, again, this is a little disappointing. Uh, just, so I actually this was one of my top picks, not because it's a pale ale, obviously that I remember when I first got into craft beer because this came out much much later. But this is one of the uh, the pale ales that a I love because it still is a pale. Oh, 100%. And fresh, it's so just vibrant and bright. And, and it uses the Idaho 7 hop. It's one of the first beers that used the Idaho 7 hop. Yes. Really effectively. And it's, I don't think I've had it this this old. And it's uh, it's it's a little sad. So, I get, again, another did not finish, unfortunately, from... Uh, and 5.5% alcohol. So, I mean, outside of the Dale's Pale Ale, everything's been 5 to 5.5. Because, yeah, what I'm getting is, like, a big, like, malty, caramel, oxidized a little bit. And then... I get a little bit of that black tea, like, old black tea, which would come from the Idaho 7 starting to fall off hard, but... Yeah, but I don't get that, like, nice, bright no. peach black. So, Idaho 7 always says to me, peach black tea. So, I'm getting getting none of that, unfortunately. All right. Well, let's open the last beer of uh, uh, of, of our lineup while we can still uh, while, while we can still speak. Um, so we kind of picked this up kind of out of desperation because we're just like, let's just grab a pale ale, any pale ale. Holy fuck! There's hardly a, any pale ales. Um, so we got the play wide uh, play play. Too late. It's over. Shut down the podcast. <laughs> the play, play wave. The play wave is a Northwest pale ale from Crux. Um, again, kind of out of desperation. It's 5% alcohol, so right in line with everything else that we've had. So, um, first the thing I got off it was almost like, it has a citrusy, but I would go so far as to say almost like Brett, uh, aroma to it. I don't get it off the flavor, but I do get like a little bit on the aroma. I'm not picking up a Brett on the aroma. I'm getting more of that citrusy, a little hint of like a tropical fruit, uh, but... Uh, I know the hops, according to the can, were Mosaic, Galaxy, and Centennial, so a little bit of a switch up from... Yeah, we're definitely using new, newer hops in this case. I was going to say, you can kind of see the progression up from Cascade to... Uh, to uh, Yeah, we're and we're definitely mixing up with uh, Mosaic, and I don't know when Mosaic hit the market, but it was relatively recently. Uh, I was going to say, I feel it became real big about five, six years ago. Yeah, so that... Pretty much means it came on the market a couple of years before that, but uh, but nice. Uh, it's on the lineup. It's as drinkable as Mirror Pond. I think it's the most drinkable. Um, it's got the least amount of bitterness. I think thirty um, IBUs. I think it beats out everyone. It's got a like I said. It's got that an interesting aroma. It's got an interesting flavor. I put it up against Mirror Pond. I think they're kind of in almost different categories, so it may not be a good comparison. I was going to say, it's almost apples and plums. Yeah, but... Buck oranges. <laughs> but this is where, I think, this is a good one to end on, because here's the future of pale ales. They're yeah. almost an IPA. As much as I've resisted during every competition, pale ales are becoming IPA light. It just it, is. It's a lower alcohol IPA. So, well, I mean, even like a hazy pale ale is basically a Northeast IPA that's within a certain alcohol range. So, yeah, um, I don't know. So we've gone through all this. Um, Tyler, where would you where would you put these on our lineup? Uh, I think I'm probably going Mirror Pond, then the Play Wave, Sierra Nevada, Oscar Blues. You know what? I'm exactly the same. That well, wow, that that was exactly where I'd put it too. 
because as far as I thought about moving the play wave up to first just because it was the most drinkable in my opinion uh but I still have a soft spot in my heart for cascade hops um and that was kind of exactly what I was thinking because if you're talking about a true pale ale like when I think pale ale honestly I think Sierra Nevada cascade hops you're gonna get that citrus floral aroma and about five to five point five percent. As much as I enjoy where pale ale is head is heading, I just love the nice drinkability, hoppiness, but not too much. The nice balance of a good legacy pale ale, and I think you're right. Mere Pond is out of our lineup is the uh, is the uh, is the best one, and I think. We're both out of deference, we'll just go ahead and Boise Brewing and uh, and Anchor. We'll just put off to the Did side. Did not finish. We'll put off to the side for now. We'll maybe uh, uh, get uh, get a better example of that later. I was gonna say they... if we could have had a fresher example of both, it <laughs> it, it would have been a crapshoot. I think it could have completely switched up. Well, I've had Syringa fairly recently, and so from what I remember about Syringa, I feel like. I would put it just behind Sierra Nevada, maybe in front of Sierra Nevada normally, but yeah. uh, what's right in front of me, yeah. So I was gonna say, I think I, I know for sure our top three would have probably been different. Now where everyone ranked, it's hard to speculate. Well there you go. Um so go out, get these beers, uh, tell us where we're wrong. Um and uh, yeah, so we're gonna be off for the uh, for the next couple of months. Maybe do a uh, an episode here or there, but uh, with no consistency. With no consistency, guaranteed. and we'll be uh, we'll be back in September. So uh, with that note, uh, this has been it's all beer. Uh, you can get a hold of us at Twitter at it's all beer one, Facebook at it's all beer, uh, Gmail at at it's all beer at gmail.com. Whew, it's getting harder to speak anymore. Um, thank you so much for everybody that's been sending us. Uh, suggestions and articles and everything else it really keep is- them coming if something blows up and you want us to talk about it and we've got a free week we may throw an episode together i'll check in on the uh, i'll check in on our accounts every once in a while so uh yeah if you if you if you find something uh let us know about it you might uh we might just uh, come out of retirement and uh do an episode um and uh anyway so yes there's our there, there's where you can find us um, our music is Retro Future Dirty at by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. I got through it. Fuck you, Tyler. <laughs> also, if uh, you have a crazy beer that you've brewed up before and like the weirdest beer you can think of that you've brewed up, shoot it over to us at Twitter. We'd love to hear it. Uh, the craziest one we'll throw a retweet out for to like our six followers that we have. So seven, seven. I thought we have seven last time I checked. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I don't think we mentioned this uh, recently, but uh, give us a rating if you're listening to this. Uh, five stars is this is obviously five stars. Even drunk as shit, this is still a five star. Five pod. stars for six beers that we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you so much. We're uh, this is this is been fun so far and uh, we're going to do more of these so um, to all of our listeners you are the best humans uh, we thank you so much for uh, uh, for downloading and checking us out to those who don't listen um, you're ass clowns I feel like every single one every single person who's not listened to a single uh, episode of our podcast is a gigantic ass clown they will never know Jeremy said this because uh, they aren't listening so. so if you're listening to this obviously you are a superior human and you can carry that with you that's the whole point <laughs> well, all I have to say is remember, don't shoot off fireworks till you've drank in way too much. And it's 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, everybody. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Go have a lot of beers this summer. Enjoy. Enjoy.